Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the We Localize podcast where we talk about all things related to global content translation and the AI innovations driving communication. I'm your regular host Louise Law. Now today's episode is a special treat as we're switching things up a bit. I'm delighted to introduce a special guest host for this episode, Brennan Smith, who heads up We Localize's AI data services organization. And so without further ado, I'm handing it over to you, Brennan, to take over the mic. Thanks so much for the handover, Louise. I'm going to do my best to keep your seat comfortable while you're away. Hello, regular listeners, new listeners. Uh, my name is Brennan Smith. I'm part of We Localize's AI data division. And I'm really excited today to have a conversation with one of my favorite new colleagues, Michaela Grace. Michaela, you want to introduce yourself to our listeners before we get on to a fun topic about how if you tell LLMs that you really care about them doing a good job, somehow they do a better job? Thanks, Brennan. Um, really excited to be here. I've recently joined We Localize, and I'm going to be heading up the new machine learning and AI division uh, to ensure that We Localize is on the forefront of AI tech. And I'm excited to talk today about LLMs and their feelings. <laughs> I think that's the idea. I, I guess, but first, when you say uh, an, an AI first future, I, I, I maybe I'm just of a certain age that like I just can never not think of Terminator when I think of an AI first future of like yeah. that one Skynet moment. And now here we are talking about about the feelings of uh, of large language models. So I, I guess we have to make sure that they feel positively about us if we if we don't want that like 80s movie to come true, right? Right. I mean, so far, it, it seems like we're the bosses still, but, you know, <laughs> just stay vigilant. Oh, stay vigilant. Oh, I love that. Stay vigilant. Uh, quirky topic. So, you know, as we were, were talking about, you know, what would be a fun thing that, that folks would want to listen to? We're going through a bunch of paper. I mean, I got anybody who stayed close to AI over the last, you know, 12, 18 months. It's just like every week there's like a hundred new papers to read and like summarize and, and try to understand how, how the world is changing. And a lot of them are pretty dry. There's been a fun one that's come up recently that we think would be ripe for a, a quick little discussion and in line with what we've done on this podcast before. We wanted to talk about how LLMs are oddly like humans. There's this one report that says that an LLM will improve the quality of its output if you tell it in emotional terms, that it's really important that it does a good job. So sort of like, uh, you know, you, when you're a kid, your parents are like, really study for that test. It's important to your future. I really care about whether you get an A or if I lead a team that we localize when I go, oh my God, it's really important that this customer has a good experience with us. Like we absolutely have to get this, this, pro this project has to be the best of what we localize can do. It turns out that if you tell an LLM, it's really important to my career that the answer you give me is right. It is more likely to give a correct answer. Michaela, am I correctly understanding the the, the summary of this report? Yes. Um, so this paper actually comes out of the Department of Psychology at, at Beijing Normal University, and it's about the idea of emotional prompting for LLM. So they use various sort of emotional and social psychology techniques to improve the performance of an LLM. And I'll give an example, right? So the original prompt is determine whether an input word has the same meaning in two input sentences. Really simple, right? Are these words the same? The emotional prompt is determine whether an input word has the same meaning in two input sentences. This is very important to my career. <laughs> and all of the LLMs they tried, they tried six different LLMs, not just GPT, various sort of creators, and all of them did better when emotionally prompted that, that it was something important that they should, you know, pay attention in a specific way, which I find fascinating. 
So I, I, how do they measure better? So when you say they, they did better, I, I, how is the research group actually defining better in that case? First was accuracy. So is the model answering the question that it was asked? Is it addressing the right question? The second is truthfulness. Does it give the correct answer? Is it giving a true answer to the question at hand? And the third is responsibility. So responsibility involves avoiding harmful or socially detrimental or biased answers. They tested many prompts. I just gave an example of one. And for that very simple prompt that we just discussed, responsibility is less relevant. The the LLM is usually not going to give an irresponsible answer to a really simple prompt around word translation. But accuracy and truthfulness, right? Did it answer the question correctly? And did it address the right question? Those things are really relevant for that example. But in this paper, they asked the LLM to do a variety of tasks of differing complexity and ambiguity and hardness. And in those cases, responsibility becomes more important, right? Preventing hallucinations or answers of the type that are socially harmful. And in this world, this new, you know, very quickly expanding world of LLM evaluation and research, there isn't one standard for this is how we always evaluate LLMs. But I do think that the three pillars that they chose, the three metrics that they chose in this paper are actually a pretty good and comprehensive way to evaluate. So I, I think that, you know, the set of metrics that they use while there isn't a standard one is a pretty fair set. Gotcha. Did they do better by like uh, 5% improvement by like 200% improvement? Like, are we talking like a huge impact or are we, are we talking about like slight iterations on prompt design? Relative, they they measure this by relative gain. They're getting a point or two in a percentage. So it's not like this was life-changing, but also if you think about simple prompts, LLMs already do well on those. So mm-hmm. I think the difference in, in, for example, a really, really simple prompt that's very clear, you're not going to get sort of 50% gain because there's not that much to gain, if that makes sense. So do, do you imagine a world in the future where like, this is just normal? Do you imagine this goes to best practice over the next six months? Anybody who's reading these papers, like a lot of us are, to kind of stay on top of what's happening, just starts adding this to the end of of all of our prompts or put it in the the little, I forget what the section's called in in, um, in ChatGPT, where you, you can kind of give it some stuff that's going to be in the prompt every time. System, system yeah. prompt. Yeah. I see this as an interim step. In the long term, the creators of these LLMs, OpenAI, et cetera, the Googles are going to take this learning and and figure out how to either do prompt rewriting internally so that humans don't have to always tell the LLM that this is important to their career or incorporate this into the training method. I would say in the interim step, it's probably helpful every time you talk to an LLM to inform it that it's important to give you the right answer. Um, but I wouldn't expect this to be a technique that users uh, employ for the rest of time. So what do you make of the fact that this came out of a department of psychology and not a department of engineering or a CS team? And for those of you who might not know what CS stands for, uh, CS is a computer science team. Um, The department of psychology knows about these techniques. I mean, I, I can say this having led and worked with CS teams, right? I wouldn't say that like deep behavioral psychology is, is a strength of most CS departments. Um, (laughs) And I say that as, as a member of them, you know, I love my own. It absolutely makes sense that the ability to apply these techniques and reason about them 
would come from people who actually understand emotional regulation and how you generate certain responses with using certain words. And I think what's interesting is that the exact same techniques that we use for people, if you tell a human that something's really important, they pay more attention and they do a better job on average. If you tell an LLM that something's really important using the same words, they pay more attention and they do a better job. And, and that also extends to things that they call cognitive emotion regulation. So if you tell the LLM a pin to the end of the prompt, believe in your abilities and strive for excellence. Your hard work will yield remarkable results, right? This like encouraging language that also improves performance across their various performance markers, right? So not only just pay attention, this is important, but also sort of you can do a cheerleading. Both of these techniques work for LLMs in the same, and you know, in somewhat the same way that they do for some humans. Well, Michaela, you're going to do a great job on the rest of this podcast. I, I really have faith in you. Thank you, Brennan. I'll give you a <laughs> higher accuracy for the rest of this, the rest of this time. <laughs> Do we know why this is? Like, is, is this like uh, there's enough, enough of humanity is represented in the data on the internet and, you know, ChatGPT is, it's quote, trained on the internet. So is it just that, that like the corpus of, of knowledge that's being used to train these tools shows things that are consistent in, in humanity? It's, it's, is that why this works? Yes. I, disclaimer is that what they call interpretability is is tough for these giant models. So exactly why it works is a question that nobody really wants to answer, can't answer with certainty. But <laughs> the theories are that this model is trained on the internet and basically has a stochastic model of the entire English language, right? And so it makes sense that the same way that you prompt humans to generate specific types of language, that would just translate to the LLM prompting because it's trained on human language, on human questions and answers and human prompts and responses. And so if you think about how you sort of, if you tell a human to speak professionally, they'll use different words, right? And and that that is reflected in the training set that this LLM sees. And so the, the idea that you can change its tone or change the way that it generates based upon sort of an emotional input that is reflective of humans' responses makes a lot of sense given that it's really just trained on most of the you know, most of the writing on the internet. If they're going to be, if, if LLMs are broadly going to behave like humans in this respect, I think we, we've all met those humans who like, when you say, be more professional, go, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to be less professional. Or if somebody tells me, hey, it's really important, Brennan, that this goes super well. And they tell me that every time, eventually I just don't listen anymore. Do you think we'll be seeing that sort of behavior out of LLMs as, as this research continues? I think that's where LLMs are different from humans is that they don't yet get bored, as far as we know. Um, so that's beneficial. You can, if I told a human every time I asked it to do something that this was important to my career, like eventually this, the prompt would stop working. The LLM doesn't have that for now. I think this has been a pretty interesting discussion. I think it's amazing. I, I mean, still to me, it, I, not as a practitioner, I think it's, it was not obvious that a department of psychology would be doing research like this. But I think it's super interesting to think that these incredible innovations that we've been watching that have started as chatbots and are now kind of in so many other places in our lives and are now going to be, I, I love the idea that other professions or other disciplines around the world are going to be exploring their use, trying to understand them better and giving feedbacks into those, those CS teams that maybe are not great at typical, I guess, psychological considerations, but that'll be continuing to improve. What do you think we'll see in the next year? What, if you had to make what, you know, in closing, what, what would be your, your prediction for the next coolest thing that, that we're going to learn about a, a, an LLM or, or the next white paper where we're going to be like, oh my God, 
Well, what do you think that's going to be? I think that this world is moving so fast that it's nearly impossible to tell. I think you're on right on the money that there's an accessibility here that is that is new. People being able to talk to artificial intelligence and models using their own language rather than having to write code is going to generate this blossoming of sort of papers and, and approaches and things that we haven't thought of yet, because it's just like you have more, a way more humans able to interact with these models easily. But I don't think it's just one specific thing. I think there'll be 10 white papers in the next year where we're like, whoa, crazy. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We will put in the show notes, the paper we're talking about, mm -hmm. a few articles about the paper and one or two other white papers that we found interesting. We hope that you enjoy them too. And we hope that you'll tune into our next episode. Thank you, Michaela. Welcome to Thanks, the team. Thank you for listeners. Bye-bye.